Uh, if you want to follow along, I'm going to focus on Matthew 16 and Isaiah 22. <clears throat> I want to say thanks first for you being here this weekend. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's this way at your house, but, you know, when you have a family meeting, you want all the family here. But I, I know that people come and go, and so if you see any of the families not here, encourage them to go back online and watch this and, and hear this message. This uh, message is for our church. It's a very timely message, and I'm going to share this from my heart, and I want, you to, I want you to receive it, okay? So before I begin, you know, if you're here very often, I don't normally start this way, but I'm going to this weekend. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to bless this word and this message for you to receive. Lord, you've put words in my heart, and I ask you, Lord, to give me strength to deliver, anoint the words that come out of my mouth, and may they penetrate the heart of your people. God, this is an incredible group of people at City Hope Church, and we want everything that you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. When we look at the power of impacting future generations, we cannot neglect to serve the present generations. One who lives the life of blessing is one who understands that when God saves you, he also has other people in mind. God saves you because there are people who need you. I believe every Christian needs to know that they're not only saved for eternity, but they're saved for a purpose. So this message is called The Purpose. Why are you saved? Why are you born again? One of the greatest things we can contribute, in our, contribute to in our lives is what Jesus said he would do. Jesus said he would build his church. One of the greatest decisions you can make is to choose a life that is dedicated to accomplishing and building something that will stand as a legacy for the generations ahead. Legacy is living a life that outlives me. In the Psalms, in Psalms 112, this writer knew something about legacy. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. God always works through generations, from generation to generation. Blessings are curses are being passed on from generation to generation. If you can look at your own family tree, you may discover blessings, or hopefully not, but there could be curses. The good news is that no matter what your heritage, not only can you challenge the course of your life, change the course of your life, but you can set a new course for the generations in your house. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ is the moment that a new spiritual legacy begins. And the choices that we make today have the power to change the future. This righteous man in Psalms 112 imparted something powerful to his children. What did he impart? The wisdom and the principles of God. And through the wisdom, the wisdom and the principles of God, that enabled them, the children, to live blessed lives. When you live according to God's principles, you are passing on God's blessing to future generations. In other words, let me say it this way. When you live according to God's principles, 
you are building influence in your house, and that influence has an impact. Not just an impact in your house, but outside of your house. Now, let me look at myself personally. One of the amazing things that we have in the Taylor family is legacy. So I'm going to run through this real quickly. I, the first picture I want to show you is my great-grandfather, Charles Taylor. I, I did not know him. He lived to be 80, but he was a pastor and a minister for 52 years. And now you're going to see a picture of my dad at 17 years old called to preach. And he pastored and ministered for 60 years and lived to be 78. The next picture you're going to see, you're going to see my dad who's officiating the organizing of City Hope Church in May of 1998. He's changed just a little bit. The next picture you'll see is, you'll see me at 45 years of age at the first meeting of City Hope Church. And I haven't changed a bit. <laughs> and most of you know that I was a children's pastor for 20 years, and this is what I usually look like as a children's pastor. <laughs> I usually had a pie in my face for the most part. And this is a picture of our three children, Trey, Nick, and Melanie. And this is a picture of our six grandchildren, Bella, Nora, Tristan, Taylor, Ezekiel, and Maxwell, the latest. That's our legacy. That's the legacy of our family. When you have legacy, there's a depth and a strength and a force that the kingdom of darkness doesn't know what to do with. I, I really like what we call the bumper to this series, The Legacy. And you saw faces and names and you, or faces and people that you recognize. And those are legacies that have been left on this earth. But you understand that, that there is a legacy that you live, that you can leave within your house and that the heaven's going to know about. But the legacy that you leave within your house is going to affect the darkness on this earth. So when we come together in legacy, we have a future ahead of us. But it's not just... A future. It's a future that's attached to the past. God's promises in the past, that's the amazing thing that anchors and guides and strengthens us and gives us everything we need to go forward into the future. And I am excited about what God is going to do for us, for our homes, for our families, for our businesses, for our church. And, and it's amazing how God works. It really is. Now, I I don't believe God gives true vision that isn't generational. All vision, all through Scripture, when God gives a vision, is generational. Abraham, has the, his promise was that the descendants would be more numerous than the stars, but at the end of the day, he had one son. Yet Abraham is the father of our faith. His descendants are so numerous. We're his descendants. His family Generation, I, I, I don't have pictures of them, but yeah, let, me, let me just give you their names. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all through the Scripture, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, and you, you, you're familiar with Jacob. He had 12 sons where the 12 tribes came from, and the one we're most familiar with is Joseph. And this, this verse I want you to see in Genesis 
chapter 50, verse 24, this is Joseph talking, and he said, He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here's what's going on. Joseph is telling his family, I'm about to die, but don't forget that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not forget who you are, nor the land that he has given you. And by the way, that's the land that's in such controversy right now that God gave to the, to the Jewish people. That's in Genesis 17. But all through scriptures, we see the reference to God. Not as a God to one generation, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a generational God. And that's the calling on City Hope Church. You make up this church. There's a generational call on this church. What has been accomplished here is just the beginning of what will be accomplished in the future. We're building together into the next generation, and then we pass it off to them. We hand it off, and then another generation is going to go forward with it. Well, how would that happen? Here's how it happens. It happens with the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs all working together and moving forward with a vision of this house, this church. And I love the way that, that they can work together, and it means that God works through generational transfer. So first, let me speak to the Abrahams of the house. And, and I'm not going to use generational uh, identification that our cultures come up with. I'm just going to simply say probably a good definition of an Abraham would be you're a grandparent. So if you're grandparents, I'm addressing you as Abraham. We need all, ten or, all three generations working together if we're going to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. And we need Abrahams because there's wisdom. There's words of encouragement. And they have faith. So the Abraham generation brings faith because they know you can make it through trials and storms and dark times, and they lend the credibility to what's going to happen because for the most part, they've been there. They've done that, and they have wisdom and encouragement they can give you. So I want to call all the Abrahams in City Hope to rise up. Now is the time for us to engage our faith and encourage our younger generations. And then I want to speak to the Isaacs. I would describe an Isaac as... Dads and moms. You're not a grandparent, but you're dads and moms. You're the ones who do the heavy lifting. You're the ones that God is calling to do the work. You're not the ones who are going to sit back and just take it easy. You're the ones you are going to battle for your marriage. You're going to battle for your children. And you're seeking the next vision to advance the kingdom of God in your house. And to the Isaacs, let me challenge you with this. It's time for you to put your hands to the plow. Isaacs, moms and dads, it's time for you to engage with God, to serve, to lead a group, to give, to tithe, to pray, to fast. Put your hand to the plow. Connect to what God has called you here to do. Thirdly, I'd like to speak to the Jacobs. I describe the Jacobs as young adults, single or married, but no children. The Bible doesn't say Israel it says Abraham, Isaac, it doesn't say Israel, it says Jacob, and, 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 and Jacob, you know, he, Israel is his redeemed name, but it uses the name Jacob, which means supplanter, and, and that's not his good name as a young upstart, but here's the thing we need the Jacobs for. The Jacobs are always pushing the Isaacs. Jacobs irritate the Isaacs by saying, come on, we can do this. Come on, there's a better way. Come on, we can take more ground. It's just money. Let's do it. Let's do this new thing. 
And then the Isaacs are going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down, my, my plate's full, you don't understand how busy I am, I, I, I don't know if we can do that, I'm not sure about the money, can we afford that? And, and Abrahams are going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. So when they're all working together and each doing their generational part, watch, we get to do what God has called us to do. When we get to do what God has called us to do, we leave a legacy. Until we do what God's called us to do, we can't leave that legacy, not a spiritual legacy. And I really want to call forth the Jacobs, the singles, or the marrieds with no children. I want to call the Jacobs. Listen to me. This is a word for you. It's really time to step up to see what God has planted in your young hearts. And you need to see and observe the hard-working Isaacs because there are no free lunches. And you need to listen to and receive the wisdom of the Abrahams because they've been there and they've done that. And they have been in that state of being that young Jacob and now they're, they're, they're that mature Abraham. And only when all three generations are doing what we're supposed to do are we going to be able to do what God has called us to do. City Hope Church is not a one-generational church and we're not a church that just thinks out with the old and in with the new. We want all three generations to engage because I believe that the three generations are not finished. And the word to the Abrahams, if you're an Abraham like me, not only are you not finished, but you still have a big part of the race to help finish. I believe the next season of influence and impact, remember what the psalmist said, I, my children are going to obey the principles and the Word of God. When that happens, there's influence and an effective impact. I believe that the next season of influence and impact of City Hope is going to move beyond our thoughts and our imagination. So we're calling Abrahams to get up. We're calling Isaacs to put your hand to the plow. We're calling Jacobs to find and believe that you have a purpose on this earth and find out that purpose. And Isaacs, you're going to finish what the Abraham started. But Jacobs, you're going to start new dreams and new visions of your own. And I want to show you now, as I've described kind of who we are, I'm an Abraham. I want you to see how I see this church from a perspective of Abraham. And so I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about some things, but I, I really pray that you will receive this. In every community that we have a campus, we have people there who don't know Christ. Let, let me say it this way, and don't be offended by this. We have people who don't know Christ, and they're on the path to hell. There are cities that we want to go to and be part of, and there are people in that city who don't know Christ, they're on the path to hell. But remember what we're called to do. Remember that the influence that we're going to have on this earth and what we're called to do, our purpose, is to build the church, God's church. And, and, and we, when, when we do, we are building the kingdom of God. The DNA of City Hope established many years ago is that we, are, we, we do this by planting churches in other communities, not just one big building and everybody drives in, but we're in communities and we're reaching that so that more people come into the kingdom of God before Jesus returns. But to fulfill that, we've got to do that together. So this is a generational call for the vision of the house. We need all the Abrahams, Isaacs, and Jacobs. We are going to grow by planting campuses, but also we're going to continue to grow internally by helping people engage in healthy growth, by going through freedom, 
by developing financial plans for their life, by helping them to parent, by teaching them how to be free of the things that, that, that are internally affecting their soul. And, and then there are people all over this area that, that they need help in their marriages, and we're called to go to them and help them. So I charge you, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and my commitment to you is this. I will do everything in my power to help you reach and fulfill your potential in being who God has called you to be, to find your purpose. If we all begin to do what it takes to leave a legacy, there is nothing that is going to stop us from building the kingdom of God. Nothing. I believe in 2017, City Hope Church will touch the heart of the Father in a way we've never touched it. What is the heart of the Father? People. God's all about people. How are we going to touch God's heart in a different way than we've ever touched it before? How? Well, God has given us the keys to the kingdom. So let me, let me say it this way. We must plant gates of heaven in communities so we can invade the gates of hell. In other words, City Hope, our part in building the kingdom is to plant gates so we can invade gates. We are to plant gates so we can invade gates. We must continue a legacy of planting gates of heaven so that people can come come out of the gates of hell and into the gates of heaven. So let me go to a scripture where this all took place. And I'm going to tie legacy into this. So watch where it goes in Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus is talking about the foundation of the church, and he talks about the keys of heaven. But look at the context of the verse into the time of history. He uses the phrase, and later on you'll see it in the Scripture, the phrase, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. So let, 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 me, let me just show you this picture. This is in Israel, and, and you're going to see this, this picture, and, and you see a cave to the left. I'm going to show you the mouth of the cave in a minute, but to the cave, you... you to the right side, you see these niches, and they have large statues, and Pan was in that. He's made out of gold. He's half goat and half man, and, and, and then you see the smaller niches, and that's where their, his mistresses, their statues would be, and, and, and this is a, an outdoor place of worship along the rocks of a mountain. They call this the Rocks of the Gods, where, and they built four shrines, so they, they had a shrine to Caesar Augustus, and one to Pan, and one to Zeus, and one to sacred goats. I, I can't tell you in this setting all the things that happened at the face of this rock. Uh, hundreds and thousands of worshipers would come in there yearly, enter into their sins. They would offer up sacrifices of children and babies and everything that went on that we can't even imagine went on. Now here's the next picture. Th th this is the mouth of this cave. Three cultures are here. The Babylon culture, the Rome culture, and the Greek culture. Inside this cave is very important. And, and here's why it's important, because inside this cave, there are two springs that are being fed in, and so there's this water reservoir inside of this, and it is so fresh and so clean, but it is so deep you couldn't find the bottom. And people would go into it and stumble and drown, and, they, and the people, it's going to pollute our water that we're using for sacrifices of children. 
So what did they do? They put up a fence outside of this cave so no one could do that. This fence had a gate attached to it. This became known in this culture as the gates of hell. Jesus, in the verses that I just read where he said, Who do men say that I am? He is sitting in front of this gate. He is sitting in front of this mountain with his 12 disciples, and they're looking at it. And they have been taught and told because they've been raised as Jewish men, never go there because bad things go on there and that's where people go to die. In this context, Jesus takes them to the gates of hell. And it has to be a big moment in Jesus' heart. Listen, this is a big moment in his heart because he knows his ministry is coming to an end. And he has 12 guys, but do they get it? Do they get it? Do they understand their purpose? Are they going to finish his legacy? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? They give the list, and you know the story. Simon Peter in verse 16, he gets it right, and he answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In this moment, now the guy, 12 guys don't know this, in this moment, Peter had a flash of revelation from God. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed that is to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Now they're having a revelation, watch, of who Jesus is in front of the gates of hell, and they are surrounded by the gods of the region. And on you, Jesus says, the 12 of you, everything rests for society to move forward in God. Every community, every city to move forward in God, it rests on you. In other words, Jesus is saying, my legacy, I am living a life that outlives me, and now I put it in your hands. And Jesus is so happy that Peter got this revelation because he's going to build upon the church. In other words, literally, this is about Peter planting or birthing the church. But it goes beyond this understanding of who I am, Jesus said. See, this is in the context of being surrounded by the gods of the culture and the society. And you have this revelation of who I am. When you get the revelation of who I am, uh, you're going to build my church. When you have a revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're going to want to build my church. I believe today communities where our campuses are, they are part of, they need to know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are people in every community that they need to know that he has the answer to every problem they have. And our society is weighted down with problems today. Now, we don't have the gods that they had, but we have so many gods and so many things that are competing for our attention. In our Western culture, there's a separation of the religious from our daily life. We, we do our church thing on Sunday, and, and we check the religious box, but then we go to work private, we separate it. But see, the separation of who we are spiritually and who we are in real life, that has to change. Why? Because of the day and the time that we live, people need to see the God that's in us. And I believe this time is now that the separation can no longer exist. I can't have a private Christian life. I, I have to be real in who I am because no longer is having an encounter with God in our lives centered on Jesus an option. 
It's not an option anymore. It's not one of the boxes you need to check. It has to be the core of what we're doing every day, that Jesus is the core of my life. And that's why we have to plant gates. We have to go into communities to help them. Help them do what? We have to help them encounter Christ. We have to help them receive the revelation of who he is. And, and you see, it, 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 they, they need to know that the core of their life is not their job and their business. The core of their life is not, not all the stuff that they see and they hear, that the core of their life should be Jesus Christ. If we're going to live a life that outlives us, then we can't serve the God of careers. We can't serve the God of money. We can't serve the God of making ourselves happy. We can't serve the God of busy. And, and listen, all of those things are only bad if they take the place of Jesus being the core. You, you understand that. But when he is the center, then you are going to live in the blessing of God. And, it, and, it, and it's for us. And it's for us. But we have to have this core. And, and then, but anything else that takes the place, it becomes a God. And God said, I, I, I'm not going to have any aisles before me. Nothing can compete with me. And that's why Jesus said, on this rock, He's making a confession. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he goes on and says, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. If you've been in church a long time, you've heard this phrase. If you haven't, you, 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 it would be new to you. In fact, in our culture, taking this, because this phrase, the keys to the kingdom, this was a rabbinical idiom in those days. So to us, it's, a new, it's, it's new. It doesn't make sense to us. The rabbis attached to this the ideal of binding and loosing. I, I'll give you an example of an idiom. Let's fast forward, uh, you know, let's say 50 years if the Lord tarries. And, and there, there's a phrase, I, I used to use it a long time ago, and it's silly and, and probably stupid, but, you know, sometimes I, I would say to the people, you look like a calf at a new gate while I'm preaching. Fifty years from now, if you heard that phrase, you would say, what, what are they talking about? But if you live in South Alabama, you know that some calf got lost. They're standing in your gate like, I don't know where I am. What am I doing here? That's what I used to say to the people in the church. And God said, don't call them calves. Call them sheep. <laughs> and lead them. Okay? So, I want to show you, watch. I want to show you what this phrase, the keys to the kingdom, comes in and how it applies to us. Because if we're to start gates, if we're to plant gates, and we have the keys to the kingdom, well, what in the world does that mean? Because typically, watch, in church world, we apply it to spiritual warfare. No, watch where it comes from. Isaiah twenty-two nineteen, And I'll fill in the blanks at the end of this, what this all means. Yes, I will drive out of office, says the Lord. I will put you down from your high position. And when I call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilakai, to replace you, I will dress him in your royal robes and will give him your title and your authority, and he will be a father to the people of Jerusalem and Judea, uh, Judah. And I will give him the key to the house of David. I will give him the key to the kingdom, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. And he will bring honor to his family name, legacy. For I will drive him firmly in place like a nail in the wall, and they will give him great responsibility, and he will bring honor even to the lowliest member of his family. Now this text we're going to understand what the phrase keys to the kingdom means because if we're to go plant gates and we're to reach more people but, and, and, and we want to do that but we have the keys to the kingdom we need to understand what that, how that applies to us 
in this storyline, there is a chief steward. And this chief steward is, is, is over the kingdom, and he has the keys to the palace. So the prophet is saying there is going to be a change in command, and the chief steward is the highest-ranking official, and he's going to be given the key. The chief steward can walk through the kingdom, and any door that needed to be unlocked, he would unlock, and any, other, and any door that needed to be locked, he would lock, so that what the chief steward locked, nobody could lock, and what he, what, and what he locked, nobody else could open. So this is what Jesus was saying to these disciples. I am giving you my church. This is my legacy, my church, and the keys to the kingdom to build my church. I have given you all authority from my Father, and now I'm going to give you to my church. I'm going to make you the chief steward. I'm giving you the keys. I am giving you the keys. Now let's go back to the story of the pictures where Jesus is sitting there in front of the mouth of this cave. And, and let's go back to the gates of hell. They're standing in front of the cave. And Jesus is saying to them, follow me, I'm giving you a key, and what you unlock, no one else can lock. Here's what he's referring to. He's referring to the fact. He's doing an object, doing an illustrated sermon, if you will. He's referring to the fact that I'm giving this key where you could literally walk right over to that gate and unlock it, and the people on the other side could be set free. Those are the keys I'm giving you. What you unlock, nobody else can lock. I'm giving you authority, and you have the keys to unlock. Unlock problems, unlock depression, unlock stress. And I'm going to give them to you you need this you are my church you have the keys to my kingdom and you can unlock people trapped now the church consists of all believers if you're a believer you're born again you make up the church but what about the church in your house the church is only as strong as the church in your house oh yeah you got a church in your house yeah and the male represents the type of the priest, Jesus. The wife represents the type of the Holy Spirit. You have a church in your house. In fact, you have an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob probably in your house. But are you the chief steward of your house? If you are, then you have the keys to the kingdom of God in your house. And as a child of God, you've been given the keys to the kingdom, so therefore you have the power and the authority to set people in your house free from the gates of hell. And the prophet's talking about binding. So the flip side is, oh, not only can we unlock them from the gates of hell, they can be set free, but once they come out and come into the gates of heaven, we can also lock out the things they don't need. <laughs> That's called freedom ministry. We can lock out the things they don't need. So I'm giving the kings of the kingdom to bind and loose, to lock and unlock. And God has given his church the authority to unlock the gates of hell. In other words, the traps that the enemy has put people in with their gods, they can walk out and live in the blessings of the true God. So you understand what I'm saying, right? There has never been a time in history like right now never and I could go on I, I could do a whole series on this right here that one statement never 
prophetically, everything. I am telling you, there's never been a time in history like right now. But I don't want to go there, I want to go here. So listen. We're completing 19 years of ministry as a church. Next year, we will celebrate our 20th year. And I am so thankful for all that God has allowed us to do and be part of in the lives of people here and abroad. And, and I thought about taking all the data, like what, what Trey shared with you, and adding it up for the last 19 years. But that's not the importance of what I'm about to say. I believe the second 20 years of this church, the influence, the impact on people, the church will not be able to contain. Here's what that means. You'll lose count. You won't be able to keep up with how many people are saved and how many people are baptized. Why you say that? Because I believe we will make a mark on human history. Before the Lord Jesus returns, we are to make a mark on human history. We can leave a legacy. Now, now listen, my dad, pastor 60 years, my, my dad taught me the next generation should have double. Double authority, double harvest, d d double blessing, at least double. Now, you have begun to see that on my son Trey already. So this year I'm asking him, I, I've been, I'm the lead pastor, he's been the associate. This year I'm asking him to co-lead with me. Okay? The future of this church rests in the legacy God has planned for the church. But here's the question. Here's the question. Why now? Why now? Why did God put us in this season? Why are you living now at this moment in time in 2017 where there is no moment in time like this? Everything is setting up. It's almost as if heaven is holding its breath. It's almost as if Jesus is standing there. It's like everything is coming to this place. Why did he put us together for such a time as this? Why did God create you? Why did he create your generations, your children, and put them in your house? Oh, when I look at my grandchildren, and I know their personalities, and, and they're all so unique and different, I'm thinking inside of me, I think, what's God got for this one, and what's God going to do through that one? If you tarry, what's the legacy? I ask you, what is the legacy of your house? What is the legacy of your children? Because I promise you, I promise you that if you're a believer and you are the chief steward of your house, you have a legacy. Your children have a legacy. We, you have Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's. And what I'm trying to tell you is this is a Kairos time. This is an opportune time. So when I look at 2016, and I thank God for 2016. And I see the number of people saved. I see the, hear the number of people baptized. I, I, I see the amount of money given, and I see the amount of money that's given out to missions. And I look at the population of our world, 7.5 billion. And I hear and see all the problems and the weight of things going on. And I look at what we have done and what we've given. I think it's not enough. We need to double that, but maybe even to triple that is, is not enough. Why? Because our society is outpacing us. Society is outpacing us. Those who don't know God, they're outpacing us. 
there are more people who are not on the path that are on the path. And I'm challenging you to own your place in history. I'm challenging you to desire to leave a legacy in your house with your children and your children's children. We have to own our time. This is an opportune time to engage in what God is doing. And when I engage in what God is doing, he takes care of everything else that I need. And whatever I need to do, whatever needs to happen, I've just made him the center and the core that he's going to take care of the rest of it. But listen, let's get real close and home and personal. We live in the Bible Belt. 85% of the people you come in contact every day, they don't go to church. They're unchurched. Now, I'm not saying all of those people are, not, are, are, are unbelievers. I'm not saying that. But for the most, you could say that maybe they're serving gods other than the true God. Or maybe their life is not centered on Jesus. And maybe because they're trapped in a place of not experiencing the blessing of living within the kingdom of God. City Hope, this is why we're here. We, we lead people to become fully alive in the true hope of Christ. Let, let, let me just paraphrase it again. We lead people through the gates of hell to become fully alive in the true hope of Christ, the gate of heaven. And what we have to do as a church, we have to go to them. God's calling us to go to them, to, to, to get out from, from within ourselves. So how are we going to do that? I, I'm going to touch three things I'm, in, the, in the rest of the series. I'm going to break them down. I don't have time to break them down. I'm just going to touch them real quick, and I'm going to move on. How, how, how are we going to do that as a church? God's call, how are we going to do that? Number one, we're going to plant gates. Plant more campuses wherever God leaves us. God has given City Hope Church a part of the puzzle in every community that he calls us into. I'm asking you to be part of this. How? We need people. We need resources. We need leaders to rise up. We need to be aggressive. The, 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 let me show you why I'm going at it this year on Vision Sunday from this perspective. Last year I told you we want to plant a campus in Saraland, and we do. We had set up in our budget to operate as a portable in a school, and that budget line was a certain amount of money. We go to school after school, and the doors close, the doors close. We can't do it. But then a door opens for a facility. But the money for that, to rent that facility is a lot more than what we had budgeted. So what do we have to do? We, we, we have to think differently. We, 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 have to allow, we have to allow and be prepared so that when God opens the door that we're ready, that, that we're prepared. We, 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 we can rest when we get to heaven, but right now we need to be aggressive. And, and, and so we're, we're, we're still looking at Sarah. We still want to be there, but, we're, but we, we, we need the resources to do that. We, we, so what we're, here's what we're doing. We're, we're, going to, we're going to set something up. I'm going to tell you in a minute. We're going to set something up so the resources are there, and then we can do it when a door opens. We have the opportunity. So we're going to plant gates. Number two, we're going to engage and grow. Time is short. We're living in the end of the end times, but until the end times come, people that are trapped behind the gates, we're going to get them out. And when they get out, we want to engage them and teach them how to pray and teach them how to serve and get in a group and get in the next. And, and there are no more excuses, church, keeping us from growing and maturing in God. There's no more excuses. My Lord, anything you want to read, anything you want to study, anything, I mean, it's just out there. It's, there's no more excuses. In engaging and growing, last year we bought property, 80 acres, to build Camp Hope. Camp Hope is a retreat center for our children, teens, and couples to engage and grow in a healthy environment. 
We, we want to build on that. We wanna, we're, we're working on drawings. We want to build that out so that we can go there and grow. That's part of the engage and grow. So what are we going to do? We're going to plant gates. We're going to engage and grow. We're going to stay legacy-focused. L- let me say this. I, I, I wish I had learned this uh, 19 years ago, okay? But it's something we're going to instill as staying legacy-focused. Here's why. We are hardwired to live life with others to make the biggest difference on earth. That, that's the way we are. We, we're built that way. But if we leave ourselves alone, we, we don't get involved, we don't get plugged in, we, we go back to thinking, well, what's good for me? I, I want us to leave a legacy that affect our children and grandchildren. So I, I'm going to mention this, but I will explain it more in the series. Legacy is here to stay. We'll, we'll, make it part, we'll make it a part of the next class. We will have a legacy team who people want to be part of that. They will identify this gift and be part of it. But to help us remember legacy, we're developing legacy lanes. And I will explain this over the next three weeks. Legacy lanes, there are five lanes. The, these lanes will include areas of, of, of plant, planting gates and campuses and, and mission projects and next generational projects like Camp Hope. And you'll find those lanes and you can give to those above and beyond your tithe and your giving. You'll have access to them. These projects will be started and finished as we give to the lanes above our regular tithes. And every year we're going to have a series devoted to legacy. And every year we're going to receive a legacy offering. I'm really big into the principle of first. And this year, as we begin the first of legacy, we're, we're starting off with you know, the, the putting our time in prayer and putting our time in fasting, but we're introducing and opening up le- the first legacy. And, we, and, and in the end of January, we're going to receive the first legacy offering. And that, that offering is going to go to finish a, 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 a gate that we planted in Foley a couple years ago. They're finishing their building, and we want to raise the funds so we don't have to borrow the funds to put in the furniture and the sound and the lights, and that's what this first one would. There'll be an annual, uh, annual legacy offering. And, and, and I know all of that. It's just like, okay, why did you tag all that on the end? But because that's what we're going to do, and I'm going to explain that more and more as we go along. But, but here, l- let me finish with this. Let me finish. I believe, this is just my thinking, I believe when we stand before the Lord, just like you saw the video, the bumper, the legacy with all those people, I believe there will be a video in heaven. And I believe the people that are going to be in the video are people who left a legacy. But I don't think we're going to recognize them all. I don't think they're going to stand out. I think they're going to be regular people who decided, as for me and my house, as for my church, as for the kingdom of God, I'm going to pour into, I'm going to pray for lost souls, I'm going to fast for people, I'm going to give above and beyond. I, I am believing in reaching people that are behind the gates of hell not in hell and pulling them into the gates of heaven and I believe when that video rolls and all those faces and people I believe there will be people who were on the other side of the gate of hell I believe somehow some way they're going to know I'm here because of them I'm here because of 
they gave. I, I'm here because they, 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 just, they did something to bless me and I didn't deserve it. I'm here because they invited me to get in their group. I'm here because they led me in a prayer of salvation. I'm here because the people in a church decided this legacy is more important than any legacy people can leave on the earth because it's eternal. It lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't think when we get to heaven, the video you saw today of the legacy people, I don't think that one's going to be played. I don't think we're going to remember that one. I don't, I don't think we're going to remember this and we're going to remember that. I think we're going to remember what Jesus said and challenging his 12, which challenges us, will you help me? Will you help me finish my legacy? Will you be part of the legacy that's going to change the complexion of every city and every community? Will you be part of that? And that's my challenge to the church. Lord, thank you so much. As I pray over all the campuses and all the people, thank you so much for an incredible family that you've given me the privilege to lead, to pastor. But Lord, in my spirit, I can't stop. I can't quit. I can't back off. I, I, I can't just pull up a chair. Because, Lord, time is short. And there are more people that come into our path every day that need to know you. Let the legacy of this house be that we help Jesus finish and complete the legacy of building the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.